0: So let's go to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. There's some really great lessons here in Matthew chapter six. And the preacher that's delivering these messages is Jesus Christ. Now, unlike all other preachers, the message that Jesus Christ is 100% accurate all the time. With other ministers, we may say the wrong things sometimes, not intentionally. We may say it the wrong way. As Brother Sonny Powell said, he said, no man can stand under a microscope. And so this man right here delivering this message is spot on. Elder Powell was traveling home with a couple uh, in the church in Lubbock, Texas, where I grew up. And they were uh, very uh, critical about the minister that delivered the message that day. And Brother Sonny told him, he said, you better watch out. The Lord may call your son to preach the gospel. So this minister that's delivering this message right here was just right. Everything that he said and the way he said it was just right. So we can look at the lessons right here and we can be encouraged As was mentioned in the prayer that we desire to know how to live in the day in which we're living right now. And here's some things that will help us to know how to live and how to serve the Lord. By the way, if you get an opportunity, go back and Google the Baptist Bible Hour today. It was a great message. If you didn't get an opportunity to hear it this morning on the radio, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was wonderful about how Brother Bradley taught us that regeneration and faith come solely by the work of the Holy Spirit. But then he emphasized how we add to that faith. And it was a really great message. So if you get a chance, listen to it. It would be a blessing to you. There's three areas that are mentioned right here in worship. Number one, the giving of alms. It's three areas that we can serve God. Number one is giving of alms. Number two is prayer. And number three is fasting. So we'll look at each one of these individually right here. And then we'll try to breeze on through a good bit of the rest of the chapter. Because there's about eight different principal points that are taught in this chapter are really good chapter he's referring to some of the old jewish traditions that uh, had been uh, inherited and he was addressing some of their thoughts about giving he says take heed that you do not your alms before men it's primarily talking about the giving of your resources It could be other things as well, but it's primarily talking about the giving of the things that God has blessed you with. Now, first of all, it helps us to understand that the Lord owns it all. The Lord owns the cattle of a thousand hills. The Lord created this earth. And first of all, it helps us to put it in the right perspective that everything we have Really, the Lord owns it. He owns title to it. And he just blesses us with a small portion in our life. And it's to be used to his glory. And here's what he says. Take heed that you do not your alms before men. To be seen of them. He gives a a warning right here. He's not saying that it's. Uh, wrong to give alms. But what he's saying right here is that if you give alms, if you give of your resources and you do it to be seen of men, then men are going to honor you for doing it. And all of a sudden, that's the blessing that you're going to get out of it. But your heavenly father is not going to bless you for what you're doing. If you're doing it to be seen of men. Now, it might surprise you that most Primitive Baptist churches don't pass the plate. This is one of very few Primitive Baptist churches that, that don't pass the plate, that, do, that does pass the plate. My grandmother, before she passed away, she had been a member of the Primitive Baptist Church 85 years My grandmother, when she was 90 years old, she couldn't tell you the month that we were living in. She couldn't tell you the name of the country that we were in or the town that we were living in. But if you could get her to thinking about her baptism, which occurred 85 years before, she was able to relate to you on that because it was a special event, a special occasion for her. But the first time that my grandparents came to Mount Carmel... Uh, It was maybe 10 or 12, 15 years before she passed away. The first time after I'd accepted the call and my grandparents came to Mount Carmel, my grandmother and my grandfather, we had an evening service, a Saturday night service. And on the way home, it was dead silence in the car. And I knew there was something that was bothering my grandmother. Now, usually she'd tell you, But this time I asked her, I said, is is there something going on or something wrong? And my grandmother spoke up and she said, I've been a member of the Primitive Baptist over 70 years. And I've never seen them pass a plate in a worship service. In the area that I grew up, that was not something that was common, the passing of the plate. So, I begin to study it and I begin to research, and I realize that the passing of the plate is not against the scriptures. It's not the method in which you're giving, but it is the intent in which you give. In Texas, uh, in the area that I grew up in, in West Texas, there's a whole variety of the way that folks give. In uh, some areas, there's A box in the front and folks come up. When I went to the Philippines, there was a box in the front and people came up and donated in this box in the front. And that's how they did it. In other churches at our home church, there was a box in the back. And as folks walk out the door, it's kind of like Columbia. They would put money in the box in the back. I visited some churches and right after I was ordained, uh, uh, shortly after I was ordained, I went to a, a, a camp meeting in central Texas, out in the sticks, out in the woods, and they had a unique method of doing the donations. They, their, uh, the way that they donated was they would take the money and fold it up really, really small, and then they would, as you go through the handshakes, they would stick it in your pocket. Well, I'd just been ordained and I worked at a clothing store at the time and I was taught early on by uh, folks that, uh, that, that uh, construct suits that you don't ever clip the pockets right here because if you do and you start putting stuff in there, it's going to cause the suit to, to bag in the front. And so we were taught not to ever clip pockets. So I went to this church meeting. It was the first time I preached and folks are coming through the handshake and they had folded this money and they're trying to stick it in my pocket and it's sewn shut. I realized that I needed to go home and clip my pockets. (laughs) It's not necessarily the mode that you're giving, but it is the intent of the giving. That's why you don't go to Primitive Baptist churches and see plaques on the pews or on the building that dedicated to an individual. Because he says right here that there is a blessing in giving. There is a blessing that comes to you in giving, and that blessing comes from God, but it's very important in your intent in giving. Uh, the Jews had eight different ways of giving, uh, a variety of ways that they did it. And they would tie. Some of their righteousness to their giving. Our righteousness is this filthy rags. We can't we can't pay for any of our sins. We can't purchase a better status in heaven with giving. But if we are faithful with what God has blessed us with and we do it as unto the Lord, then God gets the honor and not us. And when God gets the honor, then God in turn blesses us for the obedience of fulfilling the command and not only the command, but the opportunity in giving. So here he starts out right here. And, 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 you know, I want to toss this in. This is really uh, I think this is important as well. It doesn't necessarily solely have to do with the giving of funds. It certainly Uh, is covered in this right here. But God may have blessed you with certain talents and abilities that you have that you can use to help other people. He's with the Lord right now, so it's okay for me to mention this in his his honor. But Elder Compton had a great desire to be used to uh, work on different church buildings in the area. Brother Compton worked at the old Landmark Church, didn't he? Put some restrooms on a building and, and worked on the building. He worked on the Manassas building. He worked on the Columbia building. Uh, he actually uh, built the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the shelves that are underneath the pews here at Mount Carmel. He and Sister Anna built the railing around Southampton and, and the pulpit, uh, worked, uh, part of the pulpit at Southampton. So it's not only necessarily the resources that God's blessed you with, but it also could be the talents that God's blessed you with. We had a dear sister at our home church in Lubbock, and she was always ministering to other people, but she never brought attention to herself in doing it. If they needed a casserole, if they needed a dish, if they needed a ride to the doctor, she always was searching out to know what their needs were and the only way that i'd found out is i would go visit them after the fact and the people that she had ministered to would share with me the blessing that she was she was a meager income but she had a heart to serve and to minister so here's what he says right here he says take heed that means that means uh, listen up or or bring attention to take heed that you do not your alms before men to have them seen of them Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Because he says, verily, they have the glory that they may have the have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. So what he's saying right here is that if we do it, anything that we do, if we do it to get the attention, if we do it to get the glory, then all of a sudden we've received our glory and God is not going to bless us with his blessings. But look what he says right here. He says they have their reward. But he said, when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That's that's just saying that there you use some discernment. Uh, And in the giving of alms, it's not something that attention is to be brought unto you. He says, when thou doest, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be done in, that may be in secret. And then here's what he says right here. He says, you give alms and you give it for the right purpose and the right intention. First of all, the Lord doesn't need our help. Lord already owns it all. And it is a blessing to be able to be used of the Lord. And if you have special talents and abilities, and if you're a child of God, you do have talents and abilities that God has given. And the purpose of God giving you those talents and abilities is to use them to encourage and help other people. But he says right here, if we do it, And we're doing it for the purpose of building a name for ourselves. He says, then all of a sudden you've received the glory for it. But he says, when you do it in secret between you and the father, it says the father, which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So the first one in honoring the Lord is that we honor the Lord with what he has given us. It's interesting right here. It's interesting to note that he mentions that Christ mentions this lesson of ministry of service to God, even before he mentions the one of prayer. Interesting. So apparently it's important. Now, I grew up in a different order and the order that I grew up in, there was a plaque on the wall on the side of the pulpit uh, and the, uh, the, uh, it had uh, an accounting up there and the uh, emphasis of the plaque was how much and how many. And you'd know how many folks were there, how much money that was given and great attention was brought to that among primitive Baptists, You rarely hear money preached on, but it's a topic that's addressed in the scriptures and the emphasis on, is on having the right heart to give. I'll share this with you. Probably Brother Mark may know it. Probably Brother Steve. By the way, Steve and Kathy are not here. Steve had to work. Kathy's sick. There have been two times through the years that uh, here at Mount Carmel that our funds got really, really low. One time, Brother Jim Plummer was here. And I mean really low. And we were to the point that we had all the bills paid, but it it was pretty, pretty low. And this was a number of years ago. And so the deacons who were very much on top of it, and very wise. They brought it to my attention, and they said, we uh, just want to make you aware that it's, it's really tight right now financially. This has happened two different times through the years. And they said, what do we do? Now, we could have had a, a knock-down, drag-out conference and hashed it out and if, we, if the Lord hadn't turned it around, we probably would have done that. But I said, first of all, let's pray about it. Second of all, if the Lord blesses, I'll preach on what the scriptures have to say about giving. So the next Sunday, I preached out of Corinthians Other areas about what the scriptures have to say about giving and having a heart to give. Same congregation. Same young folks. Same old folks. Same children. The next week, Brother Jim called me and he said, you won't believe this, but we've got $5,000 in the account. Next week, he called and he said, you won't believe this, but we've got over 10,000. Next week, he called and even more. I don't remember how much more than that. But the principle was it was exactly the same people. But they'd been made aware of the importance and the lesson of giving. Now, that's not why I'm preaching on it today. God has blessed us. We've we've gone through a renovation process and God has blessed us to be able to cover the expenses on that. That's not why I'm preaching that today, but if God puts it on your heart in that fashion, then that's between you and the Lord. But both times both times God put it on my heart to preach about the responsibility of giving. And that that's between you and the Lord. And you're to give as God has blessed you and God has prospered you. And God was faithful to his word. Now we could have taken a variety of other approaches. But I think it's a, a safe approach all the time to go to the Lord and go to God's word. And so if you have a need in your life or you have a need in the church The first thing to do is what Elder Barnabal used to say. Let's go to the Lord first. And so we go to the Lord and we go to his word and God is faithful to honor his word. And you claim his promises in his word and God will bless you in doing that. I've got two examples here at Mount Carmel where God blessed in that very respect. I don't think I've ever shared that with you, but that was a blessing that God has blessed us with here at Mount Carmel. The second one right here. He says, and, and I think this is interesting how he says, and when thou give us alms. And he says right here, the second one, and when thou prayest, yeah. it's interesting to say that, that, that we are to pray. Some folks lean in the direction that God has figured everything out. I believe that God knows everything. I believe God is totally in charge, but I don't believe that God causes everything. I don't believe God causes my bad thoughts. I don't believe God causes my uh, my discouragement. I don't believe God causes my sin, but I do believe that God is in charge. And just because God is in charge and God knows all, it doesn't mean that we don't pray. The, the best reason that we have to pray is that Jesus Christ tells us to pray. And I have to tell you, I believe that prayer makes a difference. I really do. If I didn't believe it made a difference, I wouldn't offer prayer when we go to the hospital and visit someone. I've witnessed. I have a Jew, Sister Jerry, Brother Richard? You've witnessed God working and honoring His Word when you go before His throne of grace and you pray to Him. God blesses when you're faithful to do that. Now, God doesn't always deliver, but God is sovereign. And thank goodness that God, who is completely sovereign, doesn't always give us exactly what we want every single time. But sometimes God does if our will is in line with God's will. And if it's going to be to the glory of God and for our good. He tells us right here, he tells us the method of praying. He says, when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites are. You know, really and truly, we're probably all hypocrites. Sister Susan's grandmother was talking to a visitor here at Mount Carmel, Sister Thompson. And he said, I don't want to join that church. She said, why not? He said, there's too many hypocrites there. She said, oh, come on, there's room for one more. (laughs) Well, he tells us right here, he gives us encouragement not to be like the hypocrites. Look what he says right here. He says the hypocrites, when they pray, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. And he says that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. He says not to use long speeches. He says, but when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Elder Compton said he's heard folks pray. And he said, uh, sometimes it turns into preaching when they're praying. He says, when thou prayest, be not as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. That doesn't doesn't simply mean that you have to go into a closet every time that you pray. But what he is emphasizing right here is that in the closet, that's between you and God. How many folks pray when you're going down the road? Amen. I, I'm, a, a, I'm a, an encourager of praying when you're going down the road. And it can just be between you and the Lord. It sure can. How many pray when you're sitting at the doctor's office? You're waiting to see the doctor. Amen. You don't know what the report's going to be. And you're praying. How many of you are praying when you get a phone call that's disturbing about your children in the middle of the night? You're praying. It doesn't mean that you have to go into a closet. But what it does mean is that your prayers need to be between you and God. He said, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. We have a brother in New York that attends the service up there, Brother Aaron Collier. He's, he's from uh, Houston area. And Brother Aaron has a, a humble spirit about his worship. But when he prays, it's about like Brother Ray Evers. Everybody remember Brother Ray Evers. When he prayed, you just knew that he was communing with God. And some folks have that special gift and ability to pray in a special way. It says, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore unto them, like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask. I, I, get, a lot of, I get a lot of consolation in that. I do. Sometimes I think I know what I need or I think I might know what you need. I I don't even know what I need. So how could I know what you need? But sometimes I get to thinking that I might. And sometimes I even tell the Lord. And what he's saying right here is the Lord knows what you need far better than you do. And we should go to the Lord and ask the Lord and seek the Lord, not tell the Lord what we think we need. It says... But when you pray, use not vain repetitions. He said, be not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. And then he says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I've heard some ministers emphasize this point right here, that when we start praying, that even though oftentimes when we pray, we have a lot of requests that we take before the Lord that it's a really good practice to just simply honor the Lord for who He is. Give praise to God. And that's what He's saying right here. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Father, You have all power. You have all strength. You're the Lord of all. You're the Lord of my little feeble life. And I honor You. Whether we take any petitions to him is what, or not. He says, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you know it's, it's, it's really good. It's a great practice. Bray, Tristan, uh, Luke, young folks, Grace. It's a really good practice practice to get into that you start your day with prayer that you begin your day with prayer and that you end your day with prayer and that you pray throughout the day i I like one of the practices that brother asa has that um uh, that that i appreciate so very very much brother asa every time they start the vehicle to go somewhere before they pull out of the parking space They have prayer. It doesn't matter if they're just going across the street or they're going halfway across the United States. They pray. And I appreciate that example that Brother Asa has. He says, give us this day our daily bread. It's amazing we get to thinking that our daily bread comes from Wawa or Wagmans or someplace like that. When in essence, what he's saying right here is that God is the one that provides us with our daily bread. And what he means right here is that it's even God that gives us the provisions to obtain, to go to the Wawa, to go to the Wagmans. God is the one that blesses us with the provisions to be able to purchase and acquire our daily bread. Now, my grandmother told us stories about growing up in the Depression. Probably young folks here don't even know what the Depression is, but... Uh, she sort of connected the dots and she said that she said there were there were times that we did not know where the next meal was going to be coming from. And said sometimes folks would come by the house and they'd leave a ham or they would leave some vegetables or they would leave some fruit on the front steps. And she said oftentimes we didn't know. And there were 13 children in the family. And they sometimes didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. But she said, we knew this. That God, we may not be able to provide it. But God would provide it in some fashion. That's what he's saying right here. Is that you thank God. Even for the simple thing of your daily bread. And then he says. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now he mentions this twice here. uh, Just a little bit further down. This is very important. He's going to remind us right here. That we don't just go before the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. And then we harbor non-forgiveness against other folks. Look what he says right here. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But then he, he comes on down with a little addendum right here to... The prayer that he's giving us to remind us in taking our our prayers before the Lord. And he he puts a little addendum right here. And he says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't I'm going to I want to explain that just a little bit right here. I don't believe that he's talking about right here that in eternity's sake that your trespasses are not going to be forgiven. If you don't forgive your neighbor or your friend or your husband or your wife or your children. I believe that that's talking about right now in the day in which we live. <coughs> if, if we harbor non-forgiveness in our heart. It is a breach in our communion with God right now. You want a close relationship with God. The best way to have a close relationship with God is to forgive those that are around you. You're saved eternally and your sins are not laid to your charge in an eternal sense. But right here in time, as we're living our life right now, we can have our relationship hindered between ourself and God. And one of the best ways for our relationship to be hindered is if we harbor non-forgiveness in our heart. Now, if you've ever lived very long, you probably have experienced a hardened heart. A heart that's not tender to the things of God. A heart that is is embracing uh, either bitterness or non-forgiveness. And he's telling us right here, he says, if we don't forgive other folks, why would we think that God would forgive us? He tells us in, I I, I think this is so good in in Colossians, uh, I believe it's chapter 3. He tells us how to forgive or the basis uh, to forgive he tells us, he says, he says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercies, uh, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long suffering. And then he says right here, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So also do ye. He, he basically says right here, and, and if we really think about it, if we really process it in our mind, if we look at our life, if we look at the sinner that we are before a righteous and holy God, and we realize that in the grand scheme of things, we've been forgiven in a big way, then how in the world can we harbor non-forgiveness against other folks When we compare it to how God has forgiven us. And I think that's the lesson that he's talking about right here. So he says, you pray to me. But he says, when you pray, you make sure that you've forgiven others that have wronged you before you come to the Lord and ask him to forgive you. I'll tell you what, Brother Bradley helped me on this one about 15 years ago. I've mentioned this to you, but it was profound for me. It was I began to harbor some bitterness I don't know 15, 20 its a long time ago but I, 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 may not, I may not always be perfect on this, but I always remember it. I began to harbor some bitterness in my heart, and I could tell that that bitterness was affecting my preaching, it was affecting my studies, it was affecting my ministry. it was consuming me all over. And I went and got on a plane, and I flew to Cincinnati. And I met with Brother Bradley, and I said, I can tell that this is hindering my ministry. I said, how can I be helped in this? And I don't remember everything that he said. I don't expect you to remember everything I say. You remember some of it. In fact, um, a couple weeks ago, I I, I had a message I wanted to preach at New York, and, and I got thinking after I thought about it, I thought maybe I preached it there. I don't know if I did or not. So I called Brother Aaron and I said, I don't really mean to put you on the spot, but I said, I can't remember if I preached this there or not. Can you remember? And I thought, how can I expect him to remember if I can't remember? And he quickly told me what I'd preached the last time. So then I felt at liberty to preach what the Lord I trusted put on my heart. But Brother Bradley told me this one thing. He told me a whole bunch of things, but he told me this one thing, and it, it, it found a lodging place in my heart. He said, you cannot be bitter against somebody and pray for them at the same time. Amen. If you've got bitterness in your heart, you start praying for them. And all of a sudden, God will change your heart. He sure will. You pray for him, And God takes care of the bitterness. Well, the last one. <clears throat> Again, he says... Don't be as the hypocrites. In the area that I grew up. Fasting was not something that I remember being taught. Maybe it was. Maybe I wasn't there the Sunday that it was taught. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, I, I I don't remember it. Years later I found. I knew that the fasting was in the Old Testament. But I didn't realize that it was in the New Testament. And years later I found that. Fasting was not only emphasized in the Old Testament as a worship, but it's also in the New Testament as well. And it's to be practiced and exercised. I had a fellow that I worked with and and he had just discovered fasting. And this was years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And he decided to to fast. And I don't know if he'd read this portion right here. We worked together. And every hour he'd walk by and he'd say, well, it's been four hours now. Next one, it's been five hours. It's been six hours. Well, right here, it tells us how to have the mindset to fast. He says, moreover, when you fast, this is New Testament right here. He doesn't even say if you fast, but he says when you fast. Now. I believe that the scriptures are clear that when we fast, it's primarily talking about food. It can be talking about water, but it's primarily in the scriptures it's talking about food. In my understanding of the scriptures, it's not talking about fasting from Hershey candy bars or Coca-Cola. I hear some folks that say they believe and practice fasting and they're going to abstain from Hot Fed Sundays or things like that. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about fasting, and it talks about in the scriptures, it talks about afflicting your soul, and the abstinence of food, if you do it in the right spirit, will draw you to a closer communion with the Lord. Couple things about fasting. Fasting teaches you about yourself, it's it's amazing how that our old sinful nature, how that we have, how that we oftentimes go around. And we have a problem with everybody else, but we don't see our own faults. When we go before the Lord in prayer and fasting, did you know that all of a sudden God begins to show us our own sins, the sins of others that are around us are are. Uh, greatly reduced in light of how we see ourselves, and when we go to the Lord in prayer and fasting, all of a sudden He strips some of those things away from us, and we have a communion. That communion is between ourselves and the Lord. Now He says right here, and, and, and there's a whole lesson in fasting, but I'm not going to go into it in great detail. There's a lot of good references in the New Testament about it, as well as the Old. And I'm going to briefly go through this and just touch on it. And then just the whole chapter is good. Please go home and read this. It's really, really good. He says, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. He's, he's basically going, saying, don't be going around. With a with a sad face, with a sad countenance, to appear to other people that you're fasting. Isn't it amazing the different expressions that we that we make with our face? I mean, it is. I, I it can be either encouraging to one another or it can be discouraging. The expressions that, that we make. He says right I, I, I think of the uh, I think of the little Mosley kids. When they would come to church, and when all of you, Sister Greenfield, Sister Jeanette, uh, certainly Brother Mark and Sister Chrissy, when they would all come in, the excitement on their face to be in the house of the Lord and to see you. And what a great blessing that was every single time. By the way, I got a little note from uh, Lena, and She was talking about how that she missed Mount Carmel, and she so, so, so much missed Maryland, and so, so, so much missed each one of us. And she said, I'm thankful that it it was only Alabama that we came to and not Switzerland or France, because I probably would never get to see y'all again. I don't know where Switzerland or France came from, but... But they always had a sweet, they always had a sweet, sweet countenance. Here he says, don't disfigure your countenance to tell other folks that you're fasting. He says, in fact, go to the effort of washing your face and make it look like you're not fasting. To be seen of others. He says, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father, which is in secret, that thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. That does not mean that you can't have a group fast like a church in the children and the, uh, the children of Israel were often called to a fast, a, a, a fast among the group. When we have someone that's sick, uh, we have had a, a time of prayer and fasting. It doesn't mean that you, you can't have a corporate fast, but what it does mean right here is that you don't go around uh, looking like you're in the middle of a three-day fast. You wash your face. You, you don't present yourself. You try to be as encouraging as you can be, and you allow that uh, situation that develops through prayer and fasting to be between you and God. And it's amazing how many things that God will teach you about yourself. Now, I'll I'll, I'll toss this out as well. I believe that we have scripture that uh, supports this principle right here, that if there's someone among us, a child, a grandchild, a brother, a sister, that has a, a spiritual struggle, or maybe a physical struggle that we can go before God, just like we do in offering prayers for them, that we can also go before them in a state of prayer and fasting. And God who knows their situation knows our heart's desire knows the burden of our heart, the plea of our heart to, to be used of God, to make a difference. Sometimes, It means that God gets us out of the way to do his work. God doesn't really need us a whole lot. He really doesn't. God allows us to be used of him, but he doesn't really need us. He doesn't. God allows us to be used of him to encourage and help other people. So he says right here, don't you fast to be seen of men, but you do it before God. I want to tell you, this is a scriptural principle that if you do it, God will honor and bless it. If he puts it on your heart to fast, there's a lot more uh, principles that are taught in here. Uh, uh, it, it also addresses, addresses right here in, in verse 25. He, he talks about worry. Anybody here worry? Whether you confess or not, I expect you worry about some things. I know some of you, and I know that you worry. I'd worry, too, if I was in your shoes but it reminds me of this right here. He said, the Lord knows all about you. Lord knows the very hairs of your head. It says, therefore I say, unto you take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Now that does not mean that you don't work. Brother David Kilby just scored a new job and he's so excited. The reason he did it is because he knows that one of the callings that we have as as men are to, are to work. And God provides our means through labors. Doesn't mean you don't work. But it does mean while you're looking for a job. While you're working on your job. While you're looking for the Lord to bless you on your job. That you, that you pray to the Lord. The whole time. He says don't, don't worry about. What he says. What you're going to eat. or uh, He says does not the Lord know. It is not life more than meat and the body than raiment. He said, behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. One of the things I really enjoy, there's a few things I really do enjoy in life. And here's one of them. I love to get up in the morning and hear the birds. I hope I don't get too old to be able to hear the birds. Talks about Ecclesiastes that I might be if I get really old, but I sure like hearing the birds. And it reminds me of this verse right here. That the Lord knows the fowls of the air and he takes care of the very birds. And he says right here, neither do they reap, neither do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. And he says, are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to a stature? I probably would if I could. I've started shrinking right now and I'm down below six feet. That just I wasn't really excited about that. On my, I'm holding on to my old driver's license because it says 6-1. <laughs> if I could add some stature, I probably would. <clears throat> he says, "You can't, Which of you can, by taking thought, add one cubit to a stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. He mentions the birds, now the lilies. He said, How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought for what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed. He says on down in verse 32, he says, for your father knows the things that you have need of. Dear old sister Elsie Evans, before she died at 83 years old, she said, Brother Stephen, God didn't provide me all my wants, but looking back on my life, he provided me all of my needs. God knows your needs. And then he says in verse 33, and I think this is so good. He says, Seek ye first. Brother Sandy Paulus has taught us so many good lessons through the years. He said, you can have a whole lot of seconds, but you can only have one first. And just so that we're not confused on what we're to seek first in our life, he tells us right here. He doesn't say if we feel like it, we seek it first. If we're in the right mood, we seek it first. If everything lines up all right, if our week has gone well, then we seek it first. He says right here, after giving us the lesson of all these areas of ministry, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I, I believe he just simply says to us right here, That if we make it a priority in our life. Not build the church around our life. But build our life around the church. If we seek him first. We shouldn't just have the church as an add-on to our life. We shouldn't just have the Bible as something that we read when we have a crisis in our life. We shouldn't just sing the songs of Zion if we can get there a few minutes before we have the change of service, but it ought to be something that we meditate on, that we think on throughout the week. You've got souped up phones. You can listen to a lot of stuff. One of the greatest things you can listen to is the good old gospel hymns. Look up some of those good apps of hymn time and hymn singing. And it will be a blessing to you. I don't know about you, but I I, I know a little bit about you. But I know a lot about myself. My mind can be in the wrong direction. And I can hear a hymn, a good old song. And all of a sudden, my mind gets in the right direction. Brother Compton would refer to it like this. He'd say, sometimes my mind gets out of gear. Well, sometimes my mind gets out of gear. And one of the best things to get it back in gear, to get it back in sync, is to listen to some good old gospel singing or to read some of God's word or to go before the Lord and and talk to him in prayer or to fellowship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. And it helps get my mind back in the right direction. You see, I got a problem. My mind doesn't stay always in the right direction. My mind gets discouraged. My mind goes in different directions And the best way for me to keep it in the right direction is to read God's word, is to hear his hymns, is to fellowship with the saints, is to not forsake the assembling of the saints, but to be in the house of the Lord. And that's why he says right here, we're to seek first, because he knows that we all, if we're honest, we all had those struggles and those problems. So seek him first in your life. You know what? Looking back over my life, I've got a few things that I regret. Some of them I'd tell you and some of them I probably wouldn't. I'm sure that some of you regret some things. But did you know what? I've never regretted serving the Lord. I've never regretted seeking the Lord first. I've never regretted trying to be at the house of the Lord and and be there when the first hymn is sung. I've never regretted fellowshipping with the saints of God. A lot of regrets that we might have in our life. But you'll never regret seeking the Lord first. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.